How's everybody this morning? It is really, really good to be with you and worship our great God together. Uh, good news again this morning that God loves us. He's with us. He says we're two or more gathered in his, in his name. There he is in our midst. I don't know what your week was like, uh, but I know this is that God's designed you for himself. God's designed you for worship. Uh, God's designed you for one another. So it's really good to uh, gather in his name and to see all your faces this morning. If you have your Bibles, if you'll turn with me to the back of the Bible, uh, to 1 Timothy 1, uh, we're going to begin a new sermon series, kind of a short little four-week series on trustworthy sayings that Paul gives us uh, in God's word. Uh, we'll see what are these trustworthy sayings. And when it comes to trustworthy sayings, being an election year... We're hearing a lot of sayings. We're hearing a lot of promises. Uh, we're told things that will point us toward hope or point us, point us toward our future. And probably you're like me saying, which one of these can we believe? I mean, which, which trustworthy thing is being really said here? And, and what really is going to give us hope? And what's going to lead us to a bright future? Uh, it's that crazy time again, and it seems like uh, this election may be even more crazier than the rest. But let me tell you, when it comes to trustworthy sayings, the one you need to listen to is God. And the one you need to follow is Him. And the one you need to vote for and vote for your life is God. And then following after Him with all of your life. And we're going to look at not political sayings. We're going to look at trustworthy sayings that come right from God's Word. The Apostle Paul uh, will find these in what we call pastoral epistles. And these are letters that he wrote. And he didn't write it to a church like Corinth or Philippi, where you see Corinthians or Philippians. He wrote them to people. So when you see in the back of the Bible, like Timothy or Titus, he's writing these letters as a pastor to fellow pastors that he's trying to encourage. And in the midst of that, he says, these are faithful sayings. Let me tell you a few faithful sayings. And he says this as well. They deserve our full attention. Well, not just because they're from Paul and, and not just because uh, there are these pastoral epistles, because this is God's word. And God's word, I mean, all of it is God's word. But when he says this is a faithful saying that deserves our attention, we should really listen. They're incredible sayings. I mean, they're, they're, they're not going to be uh, new to you in many ways. I don't think when you hear these sayings, you say, oh my goodness, I never heard that before. But as we bore into this, we realize that in these sayings, we see Jesus. And in these sayings, we, we see ourselves. And in the reality that is offered in this, these gospel wonderful sayings, we find life. And we, we experience forgiveness. And we just have joy of knowing a God who, who loves us and is for us. And so if you have your Bibles, again, turn with me to 1 Timothy 1. I'm going to pick up in verse 12 and read through 17. And you see right in the middle of that, you'll find the trustworthy saying. If you don't have a Bible today, you'll find that passage listed for you in the bulletin. And you'll also see it on the words, uh, the screen behind me. But let's be mindful. Now, these are trustworthy sayings because this is... God's word and God has breathed his very being into God's word so that we can know and love and embrace it. Hear the word of the Lord. First Timothy one, beginning in verse 12. Paul writes, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus, our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service 
Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, an insolent opponent, or, or maybe even a wicked and, and a violent man. But I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed. It abound for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost or the chief or the prototype. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for this amazing work of grace that's so clearly on display in Paul's life. And God, I thank you personally for the amazing grace that is on display in my life. That you love sinners like me, like us. And that Christ came for those who were lost. That is such good news. And that is the good news that each of us need to be reminded of this morning. For those who may be hearing it for the first time. And for those who, who may be hearing it yet again for the umpteenth millionth time. May you come with power in the power of your word. And would you make it new and alive and fresh to all of us? Would you be pleased to speak through a broken sinner like me? And God, would you give us ears to hear our Savior's voice? Would you give us minds to understand our Savior's word? Would you give us hearts to embrace our, our Savior's love? And would you give us feet to walk in a manner worthy of our Savior, Jesus' name? And it's in his holy and matchless name that we pray. Amen. In your bulletin, you'll find an outline, uh, just two points this morning, if you want to follow along with me. And this incredible faithful or trustworthy saying this morning, what we're going to find is this, the abounding grace, the, the grace that overflows to sinners like us. It's, it's, a, it's a word uh, in the Greek that, that really kind of builds up a, a lot of uh, emphatic nature, that God's abounding grace, his abundant grace to sinners like you and me that know Jesus as Savior and ourselves as sinners. That, my friends, is the gospel. That, my friends, is the reality that we need to know Jesus as Savior and ourselves as sinners. Scripture will tell us that Jesus' primary role that he came for us was not to come and just to be a moral example and to show us how we are to live our lives. He did do that, but he did so much more. He's, he's not just a barometer for us to look at and say, well, how am I doing morally? Jesus is much more. He's, he's not just a wise sage that, that, or, or teacher. And he's certainly that. I mean, he's a wonderful counselor. He, he knows all things. There's been no teacher that is like him ever and ever will be. He's incredible. But he didn't come just to be that sage or that teacher. He came for more. Jesus didn't come just so we could experience personal comfort. He didn't come just so our lives would be a little bit better or, or a little bit more blessed. He, he, he 
does bring us comfort. And certainly we were blessed in him, but he comes for so much more. Jesus tells us in his word that in his own words, he says, I've come to rescue. I've come to seek and to save those that are lost. I mean, the greatest uh, seek and rescue ever in all of history is God's own son. Does it include you? Because he came for sinners. You see, Jesus came to do that which only God's son can do. He came to reconcile us to the father. He came to, to make peace with, with a holy God. He came to rescue us and to save us from, from sin and from death and from hell. And so that we can have life and life abundantly. Knowing Jesus as Savior, do you know him in that role? And that's the role he came to earth to fulfill. I love the fact, if you look at his, his life and ministry, it begins with his name. When he was, when he was named Jesus, uh, it tells us in the gospel of Matthew, in Matthew chapter one, verses 21, you shall give his name Jesus for he shall save his people from their sins. Now, a couple of side notes. It's really cool about this. By the way, the first thing is this. Mary uh, and Joseph did not have what's usually given the right to parents, the right to name their child. Naming a child shows that you have authority over them, but the child that was born to Mary is going to have authority over everybody. And heaven's going to declare this, this one comes pre-named. This one comes, this eternal one in flesh is going to come and you shall name his name Jesus. Why? Because he saves. It's going to be right in the name. His, he's going to be savior. Every, every time you call his name, I want you to be reminded of, of what he's called to do. Jesus. Why? Because he came to save his people from their sins. Jesus, uh, as Savior, defines his mission of why he came. I love the fact that he says in the Gospel of Luke, Luke 19.10, he says this, For the Son of Man came to, to seek and to save the lost. I mean, the whole goal that he came here, again, it wasn't just this moral teacher. It wasn't just this, this wise one who would live his life on earth. He came for a specific reason, for sinners. Sinners that are lost. Is that you? Sinners who need to be rescued. It's, it's interesting of uh, uh, who he came to save as well. If it's a fact, it's in his name. It's, it's actually, it's in his mission. Who did he come to save? It's interesting what he says. He says, I didn't come for the religious folks. I didn't come for the righteous folks, the self-righteous folks. I didn't come for the people who think that, you know, you're good enough and you maybe just need a little bit of self-help. You need a little bit in your life, a little cleanup. I didn't come for them because those people don't see me for who I really am. He says, I've, I've come for those who are sick. I come for those who are broken. I've come for those who are weary. I come for those who, by God's grace, know the truth about that person in the mirror. They're sinful and they need a savior. In the gospel of Matthew, Matthew 9, 13, he says this, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. It's always interesting to me because I, I find that when I want to talk about Jesus to somebody, the hardest person to talk to about Jesus is the person who's self-righteous. The person who thinks that in and of themselves, they're, they're okay and they got it together. 
As, as a matter of fact, uh, reading a, an article in Psychology Today, it says that it was looking at the decline of Christianity. It was actually the decline of faith, not just Christianity. The decline, and, and they want to blame the millennials, saying maybe the millennials just don't believe anymore. And basically came to this. It says, no, it's, it's, it's those who are probably more predominantly white and self-sufficient who don't need religion. Those who, uh, who see themselves as pretty okay, who don't feel like, you know what, I'm in a, I don't know if I need this. And if I need it, I just need it very, very rarely. Again, it was really interesting. Another article talks about the individual nature that's arisen in our culture. It's really driven us away from God and from one another. And we started to lose the reality that he came for sinners. And not only who he came for, but how he came to save them is equally as amazing grace and equally as, as beautiful. He came, and how did he come to save sinners? Not just to show us the way, not just to put his arm around us and say, I love you. How did he come to save sinners? How did he come? What kind of rescue is this? It's one that would cost him his very life. And to save sinners, it would, it would go through a Roman cross. It would, it would include living a, a certain righteous life so God's law would be fulfilled. But it would be a dying and atoning death. And it was an awful death. It was one that would absorb God's wrath and the separation from a holy God. Mark 10, 45 says it this way. For even the Son of Man, Jesus, came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom or a payment for many. Knowing Jesus as Savior. If you don't know Jesus as Savior, you don't know Jesus. If you don't know him as Savior, you don't know him. If you don't know yourself as sinner, you don't know yourself. A good friend of mine who's read through the whole Bible, um, who would call himself a follower of Christ, who told me he might be here in the next service, I hope he is. And the argument we have is that he doesn't really see the reality of a savior because doesn't see the reality of sinner. And that's what we must to understand who the God of this Bible is, the, the work of Christ. And it says this, that there's abounding grace. If, if you are able to raise your hand and say, I get it. I see him as savior. I get it. I see myself as, as sinner. Don't, don't pat yourself on the back. Fall on your knees and say it's abounding the grace of God. Because of the bounding grace of God, we see this reality as Jesus is not just our counselor, not just our advisor, not just a personal trainer, but a savior. And if it's true, and if he's savior, how much should you give to him? How much of your life, how much of your reality? I mean, the reality is if you're a sinner, like me, and, and he is a savior. We, we throw everything we have on him, our whole lot, our whole hope. I and mean, we just, we give him everything we have and all we have is filthy rags. And we, we run to him and say, I got nothing to offer, but you tell me by God's grace and faith, I can have life and forgiveness. If he's your savior, throw everything you have upon him. Lean on him for everything in your life as savior. Again, we must see ourselves as sinners. It's, it's interesting. Uh, 
Paul in this passage, he calls himself the foremost sinner, or it could be translated the chief of sinners. And it's really where we get the, the word. It's a Greek word where we get the word prototype. If you want to think of sinner, he's, Paul is saying, I'm the God. Now, if you're not familiar with Paul, you're not familiar with the Bible, you may wonder, well, what kind of guy would call himself the chief of sinners? I mean, was this not a very religious guy? And the crazy thing about Paul is this, is the Bible tells us that Paul was the most religious guy. He was super religious. I mean, Paul, when it came to trying to be self-righteous, he was incredibly good at it. Paul, he, he, he read the word, he knew the word, uh, he tithed, um, he, was a, he was a professional religious person. So let that sit with you for just a minute. One who was a professional religious person who knew the Torah, the law of God inside and out would say, I am the prototype of sinners. This is a religious dude. This is what the world would call a righteous dude. So, so you have to stop and say, well, if he's really religious, what's up with Paul? Why, why is he the chief of sinners? Why is he the foremost of sinners? And here's, here's the reality is this. What was his greatest sin? Not believing that Jesus was the Messiah. He would say, I'm the foremost sinner because, yeah, I knew God's law. I knew God's promises, but I didn't know God's son as Savior. He knew Jesus and he hated him. I mean, he knew Jesus enough to, to persecute those who knew him as his Savior. His greatest sin was not knowing Jesus and his compounding sin was persecuting those who did. And because of that reality, he goes, I'm the chief of sinners. Look at the world we live in. A lot of times we all, I mean, myself, just want to be so self-justifying, want to say we're okay and I'm better than my neighbor and I'm, I'm all right. At the end of the day, God's a God. He's going to look at the good, look at the bad. He's going to let me in. And the reality is, is the only way we ever have grace and peace and entrance into God's kingdom is through his grace and the work of his son and faith in believing in Jesus. You know, the crazy thing is everything that we do is forgivable. Everything. The mess that we make with our lives, the mess we make with our families, the mess we make with our, our marriages, our careers, the mess that we make every day, the good news, let me tell you, it's forgivable. It really is. And the great news about God, it's not going to define you. God's grace will. What's not forgivable? Not believing in Jesus as Savior. That's it. I mean, the only unforgivable sin is not knowing Jesus is who he claimed to be, Lord and Savior, kneeling before him, acknowledging that you're a sinner, embracing him as your Lord and Savior. That's why he said, I'm the chief of sinners, because he had the greatest sin of disbelief for a while. Let's continue to bore down on this, knowing yourself as sinners. What was the greatest commandment? Anybody remember what the greatest commandment, the summary, when someone asked Jesus, some lawyer, some religious person asked Jesus what the greatest commandment was, and he answered rightly. Somebody remember what that is? Come on, just tell me what it is. Love the Lord your God with all your soul, your mind, your heart, your strength. I mean, just love him with all you have. And by the way, love your neighbor as yourself. How many of y'all done that? Does anybody here be able to stand up? Let me tell you, man, I, I, I love God with all my heart, all my mind, all my soul, all my strength, all the time. I know I've told you this. I've yet to do it. And I love him a lot. I've yet to do it. 
because I love myself too much and I'm too much of a sinner. And, and, and that's the greatest commandment. And I'm still breaking it left and right. And loving my neighbor as myself. I mean, man, I love my church, but do I really love you like I love me? I love me way more than you. You see, narcissistic people don't love God and others with all their heart because we're too busy loving ourselves. And I think that's what we usually create in our culture, in an I and me society. You know, knowing that I'm a sinner by God's grace is pretty easy. (laughs) I know I'm a mess. And the scripture will say that we're born that way. We don't, we're not sinners because we sin. Let's follow this training thing, uh, this, this thought pattern. We're sinners. And because we're sinners, we sin. We're born broken. We're born a mess. We need a savior from the very first breath that we breathe. The very first cry. Because the, uh, the brokenness of this world has been passed on to us. And the guilt of this world has been given to us. According to scripture. And we're born dead in trespasses and sins. And desperately need a savior. And by God's grace, I've realized even with that loving the Lord my God with all my heart, that I don't do that, that I realize there's, there's not a moment in my day that I don't sin or yours. We got to avoid extremes. I think when it comes to knowing we're sinners, we got to avoid extremes. I, had, I met with a friend this week who, who's going to a certain Bible study at the beginning of the week, and it's a, it's a, it's a pretty cool collection of different uh, denominations and different uh, theological thoughts and He's being blessed by it, and I'm glad he's going. But he had one guy who said to him, I no longer sin. I've ceased to sin. He said, I read scripture, and I read that it said that when the adulterous woman that was caught in adultery came, and Jesus said, go and sin no more. I have decided to go and sin no more. You want to say, hello. You know, someone who says, I no longer sin, do you know how pathetically low their view of God's holiness is? Do you know how pathetically low it is? I mean, you're sinning by saying that. You don't, you don't have any idea of the glory and the holiness of God that you think you can stop for one nanosecond, even as a follower of Christ, not being a sinner. I would love to say to him, hey, by the way, do you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbors yourself all the time? You're telling me you're not even sinning right now? Come on. Someone has to have a very demented and demented view of their own righteousness to say they're not a sinner. There was a whole movement in our, in our church, uh, in our country here called the holiness movement. And like all movements of religious or Christianity, it had some good points. Because God says, be holy because I'm holy. God tells us, be imitators of Christ as dearly loved children. God cares about the way we live and we should live holy and upright lives. It's true. But this holiness movement took it too far saying that we can get to the point here on earth, apart from Christ's return, where, where we can be absent from sin. I remember my mom telling me about some of the preachers she heard in that movement saying, a preacher would stand up and says, it's been seven years, four months, and three days since I've sinned. And someone, I'd stop listening immediately and say, you have no idea who you are or who God is. If you can say for a nanosecond, you're not a sinner. 
You see, the, what I love about the Puritans, I, I read the Puritans in the Valley of Vision in their prayers every day, and I, and I love going back to them. And the reason I love reading the Puritans is because they bore deeply on their sin. And sometimes they went to an extreme they probably shouldn't. But, but the, here's what they did. They would realize that apart from Christ, I could do no good thing. Apart from Christ, and, and I am so sinful in my thoughts and my mind and my deeds. I don't love the way I should love. I don't do the way I should do. And they just realized it and they would, they would dig down deep. And they would turn to Jesus and realize, but I've been forgiven from it all. And so they see Jesus is so beautiful. I mean, the way they talk about Jesus as their Savior and the Lord, it makes me weep. And it makes me weep because he's so beautiful and he's so big because they realized they were gigantic sinners who needed a gigantic Savior. And they got one in Jesus. And it made the gospel so beautiful. Well, there's one extreme saying, I cannot sin. And there's the other extreme that says, I'm nothing but pond scum. I'm pond scum, there's no good in me. Well, even for those who, who don't know Christ, even, even those who, who call themselves atheists or, or worship a false God, they're still in the image of God. You've never met a man, woman, or child not in the image of God. Their worth is found in him. All of them. And we realize that there's worth there, but the gospel of Jesus Christ is allows us to know the reality. I'm a sinner. I still am a sinner. As your pastor, I'm a, I'm a sinner. But I'm forgiven. I'm forgiven in Christ Jesus. And I'm telling you, I'm loved. And oh my gosh, am I loved. God demonstrates his own love for us that while we're still sinners, he sends his son. And man, I, he, he loves sinners. And Jesus loves them so much. You know what he calls us? He calls us friends. He came... <laughs> When he, when he hung out with sinners and the religious folks got upset saying, what are you doing partying with those guys? He goes, these are my friends. The people who get it, the people who know they're broken, the people who know they're thirsty, the people who know this world can't fill them, they're friends. I love that. That as a sinner that's been set free, I'm forgiven and free. But here's more. I don't have to wallow in the fact that I'm just a sinner. I have life. The very end of this passage, he says that he's given us abundant life. Now, the second, lastly here is the gospel allows me to know that the abounding grace of God that transforms a piece of work into a piece of art. That's what Paul is. He starts off as, listen, I'm a piece of work. I mean, I was persecuting the church. I was a slanderer. I was an evil man. I was a, I was a rotten dude, but, but something happened. And by this transforming grace of God, he's, he's made me, listen, I love this. He's, he uses the same word prototype. He's made me the foremost example of what God's grace looks like. He's transformed a piece of work and made us a piece of art. In verse 14, it says, the gift of grace and mercy produce faith and love. And it's so important for us to understand that, that any of our relationship with God, it always initiates with grace and mercy, always. Faith and love always precede grace and mercy. If you have faith and love in Christ, it's because he gave you grace and mercy. You don't, you don't come to faith and love in Christ without grace and mercy. That's how he does it. That's how it always will be. It's by God's grace that you're saved through faith, Ephesians 2.8. And this is not of your own doing. It's a gift. I mean, faith is a gift. It's incredible. He, he gives us his gift to those dead in their trespasses and sins. He removes our heart of stone, gives us a heart of belief. If you believe in Jesus, you're right for this. It's not because you're so smart. 
It's not because you've just intellectualized this whole thing. It's not because of anything other than God's grace in your life. Do you have faith in Christ? Fall on your knees and say, thank you. Why you, not them? By God's grace. Grace alone. Well, we we see that that's the gift of grace. We also see the results of grace and mercy. It produces this trophy of God's grace and gives them life. In eighth grade, I had to make a decision what sport I was going to play in the wintertime. And I tried out for the first time for basketball. I was growing tall. Hockey was, was great, but it was kind of hard to, to get ice time. And, you know, I, I tried wrestling once and that wasn't for me. And so I went out for the basketball team and I'm proud to report I, I made the team and I was the third string center. The third string in eighth grade. And, and I, 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 uh, I played my, most of my minutes were in the fifth quarter. And I don't know if you know basketball, but they're, they're four quarters. And, and when the game is over and the, and the uh, referees go home and the cool kids' parents go home, the scrubs come out, you know? And I actually had a song with it. I mean, I, I put a song to the Beatles tune, Here Comes the Sun. And mine was, here come the scrubs, do, 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 do. Here come the scrubs. Well, it's all right. We're only in there for seven minutes. And uh, so we would play. And at the end of the year, our coach, Coach Prue, a really good man, uh, he gave each one of us, he took the time to give each one of us a three by five card. And on there, he wrote our strengths and our weaknesses. And you know what my number one strength was? Good enthusiasm from the bench. <laughs> good enthusiasm from the bench. And I'm telling you, I can't believe how many words he crammed on on the other side of the weaknesses. <laughs> you know I mean? It's like, where do I begin? But I got a trophy that year. I got a trophy. They gave away a trophy for the most valuable player. I couldn't even come close to that, but they gave a trophy away to the most improved player. And I got it. And I will tell you that I started off pretty horrible because at the end of the year, I was still pretty darn terrible. <laughs> but I got most, most improved. I, and you see, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the fact that God wants to give to us. Now, he wants to give to himself the trophy of most improved. And so he takes sinners who know they're sinners and he shows them grace and he makes them their own. And he, he makes us, right for us, he makes us like a trophy case. A trophy case, case for the world to see. And here's what they're going to see, our brokenness, our, our, our lack of faith, our stumbling forward. But they see the fact of God's grace alive and well in sinners like us. That we are his trophy case of most improved because the MVP, Jesus, his son, has shared with us his victory. He's robed us in his righteousness. He shed us, shed his blood for, for us. And now with this trophy that we have in Christ Jesus, that this most improved, you right for this? We get life. And we get life abundantly. We really do. I mean, it's not just wallow in your sin. You're a sinner. You always will be until Christ comes back. You're really not good. And he's great. But no, no, because he's great, he wants you to live. And he wants you to live abundantly. And he's going to make you live eternally. Jim Cofield said several times in the series that we just got done preaching through the Beatitudes. I love this. I can't stop thinking about it. The way you see yourself and the way you see God and the way you think God sees you will determine how you live. The way you see yourself you need to see yourself according to scripture rightfully. You're, you're a sinner. You're needy. You're broken. But God loves sinners. 
It's okay to admit the truth. You need to see God rightly as, as Savior, as a loving Father, as a rescuing Son, as a comforting Holy Spirit. You gotta see Him as a, as a Father who's not angry, but a Father who loves. A Savior whose work is sufficient. You guys see this thing dive bombing me here? Man. And you gotta, you really listen, you gotta see the way God sees you as a son. Even though you're a sinner in Christ Jesus, you're a son. You're a daughter. He defines you at the end of the day, not your sin. You're loved. You're beloved in Christ Jesus. Forgiven, free, and alive. Oh, the abounding grace and mercy of God found in Christ Jesus. We will tangibly touch that grace in just a moment for those of us who are his. We'll be reminded of the bread that is broken, the body was broken, and so that we in our brokenness could be healed. We'll be reminded of the blood that was shed that would cover our sins and robe us in Christ's righteousness. Come and taste the abounding grace of God, our Savior in Jesus, for sinners like us. Let us pray. Father, would you come and do that which only you could do? Would you feed us not just through your word, but through this table? Would you tangibly remind us that you are a holy God, that your son is the savior of the world, that he calls us friends and he lays his life down for us? And God, would you feed us spiritually and would you nourish our souls as we come as sinners saved by grace and we long for the day that we'll be set free and no longer able to sin. But until that day, we thank you for your grasp on us and that you will never let us go. Bless our tithes and offerings and God use them to advance Christ's kingdom. Prepare our hearts to meet with you. We pray in Christ's name, amen.